Hello and welcome. You're listening to Voices from the Pews, the show that invites you to conversations with Catholics of color and those from communities of non-European origin so that we can get to know more about each other's faith, experiences, and stories. I'm your host, Lorna DeRose. Hello, friends. My apologies for yet another delayed episode. Thank you so much for your patience during this time. That being said, the next episode will be published in about a month's time. So stay tuned. Now, I am thrilled to share some exciting news with you today. I have the extraordinary opportunity to present at one of the breakout sessions at the National Black Catholic Congress, also known as Congress 13. This remarkable gathering, which happens every five years, gathers Black Catholics from all across the United States, and you can find a link with more information about it in the show notes. Would you like to hear my impressions and insights about Congress 13, as well as a synopsis of my presentation? Please don't hesitate to share your thoughts. Send an email to voicesfromthepewspodcast at gmail.com or leave a message at 617-682-0885. Starting with this episode, we're making an effort to provide transcripts for all episodes of Voices from the Pews going forward. So if you prefer reading or want to refer back to specific parts of our conversation, you'll find the link to the transcripts in the show notes. So if you prefer reading or want to refer to a specific part of our conversation, you'll find a link to the transcript in the show notes for this episode and future episodes. This is a way of making this offering accessible to everyone, and having transcripts is a big step in that direction. Earlier this year, I had the privilege of listening to a priest who had been ordained for over 40 years speak fondly about his faith journey which was filled with many challenges, yet he counted all as being filled with immeasurable joy and God-given moments of surprise. His witness reminded me how God moves in our lives in the most spectacular ways if we allow him. Many years ago, I met two exceptional seminarians. From the moment I met them, I was struck by their profound faith, unwavering hope, and contagious joy. They had come to Boston on their break and were looking forward to home-cooked meals, skiing, and helping out with the deaf apostolate of the Archdiocese of Boston. I remember in my conversations with them in those days how they were both open to being led by the Holy Spirit wherever that would take them. Today, I am delighted to bring you a conversation with one of these remarkable men, Father Paul Zeremenia, who is a priest for the Archdiocese of San Francisco and currently serves as the chaplain for the deaf community and administrator of St. Benedict's Parish. He shares about discerning his vocation to become a priest, 
his journey from Uganda to the United States, and his ministry. Joining us for this conversation is Neva Turov, who is an ASL interpreter who will assist us throughout our conversation. Neva will also be voicing for Father Paul. I hope you enjoy listening. So I would like to say a huge welcome to Father Paul Zirimenya, who is the pastor of St. Benedict Parish in San Francisco. And Father, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and introducing your interpreter for us? Okay, good morning, Lona and the listeners. Thank you for having me. With me is Neva Taro, our interpreter today. I will go ahead and introduce myself, who I am and where I was born. So I was born in Uganda, the eastern part of Africa in 1975. That's August 20th, 1975. And uh, I have four brothers and four sisters. I am the third born and only deaf child. Fortunately, my parents are still living. One of my sisters lives here, about two or three minutes from me. I do have 21 nephews and nieces. So I'm going to proceed with interpretation to explain my educational background. Again, I'm very happy for having me this morning. I mean, this afternoon. Thank you. Father, thank you. And with us, we have, with Father Paul, is Neva. And Neva is an ASL interpreter. And she will be interpreting for us today and will be voicing as well. Welcome, Neva, and thank you. My pleasure. All right. Father Paul, I'd like to ask you uh, a little bit more about your family. Is there anyone else in your family who is deaf? So now Father Paul speaking through the interpreter. No, I was the only child born in my family who is deaf. And I was able to hear until about the age of six. And I had inner or middle ear fluid. And what caused that buildup of fluid, I don't know. But that was in the left ear. And then progressively my right ear began to lose its hearing as well. So I had already learned how to speak, obviously with an African dialect and an African accent, which I'm sure your listeners noted. But again, I was the third born and the only deaf in my family. A few of my sisters learned to sign or gesture and communicate a little bit with me. My brothers didn't. It obviously wasn't American Sign Language, but a combination of sort of home gestures and sign languages used in Uganda. Now, Father, what, is there a particular sign language that is currently used in Uganda? Yes, there is. There is what is termed Ugandan Sign Language. Um, when I was growing up, there was some American Sign Language incorporated into it, but over time, the country developed its own sign language. The reason there was some influence from American Sign Language was because there were missionaries who established a school for the deaf and brought American Sign Language with them. And so if you encounter older deaf people in Uganda, you will see that influence. However, 
the younger generations use Ugandan Sign Language, which is a pure form of the sign language from the country. So basically, the signs for family members, for example, are distinctly different. There isn't any similarity or basis that is shared between ASL and Ugandan Sign Language. Oh, wow. So that's very interesting. So Ugandan Sign Language is now developing into its own. Um, and they say that as a language develops, especially when we're thinking about generations, I'm sure that younger people have added even newer nuances into Ugandan Sign Language that we haven't seen before. Yes, that's true. So I would say perhaps I guess I would have to say, if you were to take into account the age of the users of signed languages, you would have to say that the research has been around on the documentation of Ugandan Sign Language since about 1992. So there was the development of an actual dictionary and exposure in a wider community, I guess we would say, and the recognition of Ugandan sign language within the constitution as a language. So whether you're talking about officials in government, whether you're talking about um, police officers, anyone who needs to encounter deaf people within society, those people have been encouraged now to try and utilize Ugandan sign language. That's a huge advancement. That's great. Yes, it is. You're listening to Voices from the Pews. Today's conversation is with Father Paul Zeremenia, who is being voiced by Neva Turoff, who is an ASL interpreter. So I was I was just going to say with that change, which occurred in the 90s, there was great there was great excitement to sort of dismantle previous systems. And the younger generation themselves within the 90s kind of picked up the ball and ran with it. So that's when there was the development of the language and the research and the documentation of that language. I still, if I go and visit you guys, I have to kind of refresh my memory as to how to utilize the sign language again and remember the vocabulary, not always easy. Sure, sure. It's a different language. I'd like to shift a little bit, if that's okay, thinking about your connection to the community as it pertains to church. How was it for you as a child who was deaf going to mass or participating in events and activities? Okay, so let me try my best to explain a little bit about my religious formation and my background. Sure. So my family was a very interfaith family to begin with. So on my paternal side and my dad's side, you could see Catholics, not as much so on my mother's side. So I certainly had a strong foundation in Catholicism, but also the influence of the Anglican church as well. Mm -hmm. And when I was around eight years of age, I was attending a church that was influenced by the Anglican church. And 
then um, later at a certain point, my aunt began to bring me to Catholic mass. And so I was attending both. I was really influenced strongly by my by my aunt who would take me to Catholic church. It was my family um, in general who attended the Anglican church. And then my aunt would very often take me aside and take me to Catholic mass. And so she had a strong influence in my life. Um, she was very dedicated to service and serving people. And she was not formally literate. And so she often felt a little bit ostracized from the community somehow. And so I think that had to do with the fact that, um, that there was that difference and therefore she began taking me to Catholic mass and I would go with her on a regular basis. And that was definitely my first exposure to the Catholic faith in a formal way. And then my formation in Catholicism um, from that age, of eight, I would say, hmm, I, I have to think about sort of my vocation story a little bit as a priest. Um, so shifting gears just a bit, I met an uncle of mine for the first time when I was about 14, and he was a priest. And when I met him, he was dressed in the full cassock. And the whole bit, he was quite an imposing gentleman. And I was very impressed by him and wanted to be much like him. And he was in the charismatic movement of the Catholic Church and led, um, functioned as a leader in his home diocese. So I remember at one point he offered a prayer for my healing, meaning for me to become a hearing person rather than a deaf person again. Mm. Is he about that idea? But in total, uh, he really planted the seed and that took off, particularly when I was about 24 years of age. And so I would say that my formation within the Catholic Church began at a, an informal way when I was about eight mm -hmm. and took off from there. Well, that sounds like quite an incredible journey between your aunt taking you to mass with her and then meeting this uncle who sounds like a larger than life figure um, physically as well as um, spiritually in, in, in your formation as a Catholic. Yes. Yes. Um, and then he would appear every once in a while um, in my life from time to time. So I would say in terms of Ugandan culture, Particularly at that time, priests were, I mean, how, how do I say it? They were very involved in family issues. So in other words, if anything was going on, anything was awry within the family, the priest was the one to be called, especially the priest who was a member of the family. Right. So, so he was an elder of sorts within the family. That so he would kind of follow, sort of, how do I say it? Any kind of challenge, anything. He was the one that would offer the solution mm -hmm. that he would help to advise us. There was really no sort of formal counseling involved as far as bringing in an outside figure as a counselor. It was the priest. Mm -hmm. And the third in my family, 
I felt um, very similar in terms of birth order. I felt similar to my influence with in in terms of what the priest's influence was of my status within the family. You were the peacemaker from the time you were a child, it sounds like. Um, I would say somehow my siblings would recruit me. I don't know, even now sometimes, I guess, within a discussion, I don't know why it is that they turn to me, especially given the fact that I'm deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not trying to flaunt that fact. There's just something, yes, maybe some sort of gift that was given me that allowed me or allowed to be some sort of mediator or facilitator within the family. And I have to thank God for, for that gift. Mm. And you you probably are a better listener within your family than a lot of people then. I guess. So, um, I, but I have to say being deaf, I didn't share a lot, right? When you're deaf, sometimes within a hearing family, you're sort of forced to be the listener rather than the one who expresses information. So you, um, you can listen to the family. I didn't necessarily share my own things that were going on with me. Um, but I was often the one sort of recruited and asked, what do you think about this or that? Mm-hmm. And my uncle, the priest, uh, sort of served the same role. I think things are different nowadays, mm-hmm. um, my uncle's time. But certainly, I think that inherently, there were certain similarities between the two of us. It's a wonderful gift that you have. Indeed. Thank yeah. you. And thinking about your giftedness, and you know the the capacities and the abilities that you you have been given and you've been blessed with. How did you discern your vocation to the priesthood? Ah, uh, well, when I first encountered my uncle at the age of fourteen, you know how teenagers are. Sometimes uh, teenagers are first kind of enthralled with the coolness of the person, shall we say? So I think. That carried me for a while until I was about 24. And then I was working with an association um, serving deaf people. And I met a priest within that context. And he was from Europe and he was living in Uganda, had been for 40 years. And he spoke our particular African dialect. Mm -hmm. conversation. I had one particular meeting with him. He was close to retirement at the time. But it's interesting. I was noticing that he wasn't able to speak fluently Mm -hmm. um, or as fluently as I would have expected um, or converse as fluently. And it turned out that he was wearing a hearing aid. But we did have this conversation about faith and about calling and about discernment and vocation and it's really wonderful he he simply advocated for me and said you absolutely can he never put any doubt in my mind that given the fact that I was a deaf man there would be some sort of obstacle and so honestly what he told me um I I think there wasn't really room and terms of a discussion of a lack of access for formation, but I needed to sort of look for another place to have formation or vocation 
take root. And so fortunately at the time I did have access to online resources and I went to AOL.com and looked up deaf ministry mm-hmm. and I was able to discover that there was a deaf priest in the United States at that time in, in a cafe in Uganda, where I was buying my coffee, I was doing this internet search and I had to pay for the coffee as well as the access to mm-hmm. that services. Now, of course, we can do that on our phones, but right. at that, there wasn't that kind of widespread access um, to a computer. And so that was in the late 90s, I believe. And so this priest was very encouraging. And he said, well, especially if there's a deaf priest in the United States, you can certainly strive for the same. And so I thought maybe the United States would be the place for me. At the same time, I felt a bit conflicted to leave my home and my family, my parents. But the priest told me that he would take me um, back home and sit and talk to my parents. And my father, uh, amazingly, unusually so, was very supportive, I have to say. And often for budding priests, it's the mothers who are so supportive and the fathers more reticent. But in this, it was my mother who was saying, oh, I don't want my deaf son to leave home. Mm -hmm. But my, and it would have been the case, I think, at any age, but my father was extraordinarily supportive. And he said, you can do this. The same as what he had told me when I was growing up. He said, there is no limitation. You can do this. So um, I moved to the United States. Mm -hmm. And that was in the summer of 2000. And how did you find St. Patrick's Seminary? Aha. Okay. So now, um, initially, when I moved to the U.S., I moved to New York. And bishop, I'm trying to think how this went. There was a bishop who was supporting our program at that time, sadly, who has since passed away. But the new bishop who took his place needed to get used to the diocese. And um, it took a little time for him to figure out the logistics. However, at the same time, the bishop in San Francisco at the time was friends with the bishop who had recently passed away in New York. Suffice it to say that he heard my story mm-hmm. and there I was not the only deaf man. There were a few other deaf men besides myself. I believe we had four or five at the time there information in the program, a specific deaf program, who were going through discernment at the time in New York. That's incredible. What was it like having come from Uganda and now finding yourself in New York and also in formation for the priesthood? Yes, it was pretty incredible, I have to say. So it was a rude awakening, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, the story, I was learning how to use the subway system. And it didn't seem on the surface to be difficult. It seemed pretty easy. And I met an elderly woman who had 
bags that were very heavy. Mm. So I walked up to her and offered to help her with her bags. And this woman dropped the bags, started screaming, help me, help me, help me. I was confused because I was mm. help her. Mm. And in Uganda, you would be obligated to help elderly people. And yet she was screaming out to others for help. And I was in shock. And we looked at one another. And at a certain point, she stopped. And when I finally came home, I explained the situation to a friend of mine. And my friend said, you can't just approach an elderly person that way. If you see someone elderly in the subway, you can give up your seat, but you actually are not obligated to do so. And it seemed like such a cultural shock to me. Everything that I had been taught all of a sudden had dissipated and there was something else in its place. And I, I couldn't understand why there were so many limitations placed on how to assist others in society. Um, when I was in New York, I would say good morning to people and often they would turn away rather than making eye contact. It just seemed so odd. All I said, was good morning. You know, it was just manners, right? Yeah. So it just seemed as though people would just pass by one another and without acknowledging one another. And so it definitely was a rude awakening at the time, a rude introduction, shall we say. Wow. But I'm sure had I moved to perhaps rural America to a smaller town, it would have been different. But that was the case there. Yes. Big cities in the Northeast are known for not greeting people. That's how you know people are from out of town. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the, the pace is very quick as well. Yes, very true. New York pace is very fast. I mean, even faster than, let's say, for example, in Boston. It is. It is definitely. I think Boston, I don't know, perhaps, perhaps they're known for um, drivers being a little bit rude. Oh, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's my experience in Boston. I think you're right. Yeah. You're listening to Voices from the Pews. Today's conversation is with Father Paul Zeremenia, who is being voiced by Neva Turaf, an ASL interpreter. So you find yourself in this very interesting culture where things are inside out for the way you were taught. How did you decide to continue and then finally end up in seminary? Right. So the Archbishop of San Francisco invited our group, this group of deaf men, and found a place for us to stay. The bishop from New York assisted us with the paperwork in formally applying to the seminary. And I think at the time that seminary was the only one who was open to accepting deaf men. I would say the California, once I came to San Francisco, everything calmed down a bit, right? Mm -hmm. Just calmer. It definitely fit my personality. Uh, California. Much more so. Mm -hmm. 
And so we had, yes, California and San Francisco, at least at that time. I don't know. San Francisco's probably speeded up the pace a bit since I first moved there. But um, at least it, at that time. And so I moved from my formation. And I was, just to recap, I was in New York from about 2002, excuse me, from 2000 to 2002. And then we drove across country from New York to California. And I joined the seminary in August of 2002 with two other deaf men mm -hmm. in discernment. And there was a fourth deaf man who you are familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, and so he joined in 2003. I believe you call him the bishop. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, um, the three of us, minus that man who had not yet entered the seminary, came into the seminary. And then they welcomed a coordinator of deaf services in 2004, who is the interpreter who you're listening to at this moment. Um, and so the inception of that program was not an easy one, but they had a more open attitude and more open mind about what it was that needed to be done to serve and support deaf seminarians. And as a result, um, we were welcomed into their formation program. And I was the first one from those men to be ordained. Oh, my goodness. That must have been an amazing moment for you. Yes, absolutely. So it was a beautiful, wonderful experience being seminary. Mm -hmm. Many challenges, but most definitely a beautiful experience. And the culmination was certainly my ordination in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And when I was discerning to be a priest. I somehow thought I would be doing ministry all over the world. But I was informed that as a diocesan priest, I needed to have obedience first and foremost to my bishop within the archdiocese. Um, and so I was committed to San Francisco. Yet at the same time, I've been able to travel in my ministry. Oh, oh that's wonderful. Now, I believe that there are five deaf priests within the U.S.? No, actually, there are. Total of 12. Oh, my numbers are out of date. There are 12 now. Yes. Um, so we have one deaf priest in Canada, and mm -hmm. I think currently a total of 12 in the U.S. Oh, that's um, I would say, yes, 11 or 12. Are there any deaf priests currently in Uganda or other parts of East Africa? There are none. Mm. are none. But... Interesting, just when was it? Was it yesterday or earlier today? They ordained the first blind priest. And I will send a message to you, Lorna, with that information and the name of that priest. Oh, thank you. I'd love to talk to him too. That's wonderful. Thanks for that. Yes, absolutely. So, Father, as you have been in ministry and you've been a priest and you are now pastor at St. Benedict's Parish, can you tell me a little bit about the joys and perhaps some of the challenges within your ministry as a priest? Okay, so really, I think my joy is always the presence of the people, listening to the 
people listening to what they have to say. The deaf community is not monolithic in any sense. It's very diverse. We have deaf people. We also have deaf blind people who are within our community of multiple cultures and ethnicities. And to be able to celebrate the mass, to celebrate baptisms, both for deaf people as well as for hearing people and families who are composed of both, to be able to distribute communion and prepare children for first communion and confirmation, and certainly the blessings of celebrating weddings. Sometimes I know it can be really sad, but also a blessing in a sense to celebrate a funeral as well. And so I think the word joy means to be able to persevere within good times and bad times and feel an internal sense of happiness that is given to me from the Lord. So I I truly feel the Lord's love and compassion and mercy for the people. I have many um, priest friends and I get a great deal of joy from that. I'm able to get counsel from both priests, clergy, as well as from lay people. And I really value that. And obviously, um, one of the challenges is access. Access is still always an issue. Since I've been ordained, I've served in some capacity for the National Catholic Office for the Deaf, NCOD. And I recently joined NCPD as well. Um, as a board member and have served with them and ICDA to the international board uh, for Catholic deaf. So you can imagine I'm part of many, many meetings, but I would say that the common thread is access, which is still uh, an issue. It's sad that within our church, the leadership doesn't necessarily review the documents that are presented, for example, from the pastoral week for NCOD um, or for access for people with other different kinds of physical challenges or disabilities, right? Right. Um, So so sometimes you just want to say to church leadership, basically you're doing a lousy job providing access. You're pushing people away rather than welcoming them. When you push away one child of a family, you're pushing away the entire family. And when you welcome that one child, you welcome the entire family. Right. So I say sometimes shame on you that you're not reading the official documents. You know, Um, patience tends to be a little limited in that regard when that happens. And it can really be heartbreaking at times. Yeah, it it can be. And I think the fact that you are there advocating for access and making sure that um, the voices. I am absolutely. Yeah. It's very, it's essential. And I'm going to pose this question, you know, someone outside looking in, if you will, will say, well, father, you are deaf. What gifts can you bring into your ministry? what would you say to a person with a question such as that? Because I think sometimes many in leadership do not understand that you would bring particular gifts into the ministry as a priest. Hmm. Okay. So basically I would emphasize working in collaboration 
meaning to have coworkers, right? To be able to sit back and listen to one another. But you but you're asking me is my gifts. Okay. So I would say that I have the ability to celebrate the sacraments for both deaf and hearing people, regardless of hearing status or regardless of, of cultural background. So we welcome everyone. I think gifts are human gifts, right? I have a gift of humanity, a gift of preaching, a gift of prayer. I think that some people who may begin uncomfortable because they see communication as a challenge um, often lose that discomfort. I think that any priest that has gifts, um, any priest has gifts and I myself have my own set of gifts, right? right? But I think I mean, I've been a priest, I've served as a priest now for over 15 years. Mm-hmm. Any of those who I interact with are able to see that I can equally serve both deaf and hearing people, that I am there as an advocate, as a supporter. Um, I think sometimes the initial approach of people to a deaf person is pity, and I, that's certainly not needed. Um, I am capable of giving at the same level that any other priest would give and any other person would give. I think sometimes my quote unquote disability, however, is an inspiration for people not to give up. Maybe, I don't know. I obviously can't read their minds. But I would say in terms of my interaction with them, I think that that helps them to be able to count the blessings that they have. Uh, Something else that I would say, Mm -hmm. as a deaf priest, there is a tremendous amount of need to travel, to serve people across dioceses, to minister to folks at great distances. And so sometimes I'm driving simply to give a sacrament, to provide support in an emergency Um, Many deaf people know that they can call me at any time. Sometimes I have nurses ask me in hospitals, um, what are you doing here? Where are you from? And I say, I came from San Francisco. And they say, you came all the way from San Francisco? And I said, well, yes, because this person is my parishioner, even though they're from a distance away. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it kind of reinforces the idea that people need to count their blessings. And I also have to remind myself to count my blessings as well. It is a blessing that you have the connections and people can reach out to you and say, Father, I am in need of the sacraments. And you're able to go and be with them in that moment of need and pray with them and be with them. Yes, certainly. It involves a lot of driving, but I'm happy to do what's required. Yeah. And sometimes um, I it's more than 500 miles a week. <laughs> that's perfectly all right you must have a lot of mileage on that car I told my bishop it's like I don't I don't have to ride a horse and buggy anymore right actually have a car with wheels so that's also a blessing yes yes so I'd like to ask two more questions father and one of them is you're a catholic priest who is black and also deaf 
have you come across any discrimination due to those aspects of your identity? Okay, so perhaps I would use the term prejudice Mm -hmm. um, or bias. But I can share with you that having grown up in Africa, I try to avoid identifying myself with the experience of Black Americans or the experience of African-Americans, because I feel that that's a different lens. It's a different life experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that sometimes having gone, for example, to a funeral, in one particular case, I went to bring a woman out for lunch after her husband had passed. And so we celebrated the funeral mass. And then afterwards, I went to pick her up and bring her out to lunch. And there was a woman who was born in a rural area of Pennsylvania, Hmm. white. And she offered to pay for the lunch. And then out of the blue, she said to me in a very direct manner, So, hey, she said, you know, people often never pay a tip if they're Catholic. They refuse to leave a tip. And I said, what? I never heard that. Second group of people that generally don't tip. And that second group of people is Black people. And the third group of people who never leave a tip are people who are deaf. And so I just kind of sat there for a while with her. Wow. Because I identified, right? As all three. Groups, right? I'm Catholic, I'm Black, and I'm deaf. So Ooh. what I'm saying? So I told her, I said, well, really, you hit the ball out of the park then. So why don't I leave the tip? <laughs> And I said, where did you get that idea? And she said, oh, well, huh. She said, maybe it's just a kind of prejudice. Hmm. What's interesting was this woman was deaf. And so she was talking, she was white, but she, and so she was talking about herself. And Mm -hmm. I tell you on the surface, she was a very sweet lady. But it was, um, yeah, it was mind-boggling to think about in a sense. Yeah, she had absorbed these assumptions from the culture around her. And probably when she said these things, she it just came out. She didn't think about how it would affect. Absolutely. What, yeah. Right, absolutely. And... Some people say, well, why would you say something like that without thinking? But I know that this woman in a very fundamental sense was a very sweet lady. But in that moment, I was just, you know, so, so shocked. Sure. Caught off guard. You're listening to Voices from the Pews and Today's conversation is with Father Paul Zeremenia, who is being voiced by Neva Turuf, an ASL interpreter. 
Another experience I had um, has to do with my interaction with the police. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there are many police officers who are aware that priests can be deaf. Yes. So at one point I was visiting a priest friend in a wealthy white area and I was taking a walk and praying the rosary. And I suddenly noticed that I was being pursued by a police vehicle. So I kind of stopped and turned around and an officer got out of the car and I indicated that I was deaf. And so he pulled out his pad and started writing with me. And he said, where are you staying? And I said, I'm staying right there at the rectory at the church. And of course it was right around the corner. So I knew that he would know. And so then he asked me, well, what are you doing at the church? And I said, well, I'm deaf. And so he had a very puzzled expression on his face and wrote back a deaf priest. And I said, yes, I have my ID here. If you would care to see my priest ID from my diocese. So it took, I don't know, the interaction, maybe just three minutes or so. And the officer left. I continued my walk back, but at that moment, it felt like a, I guess, a sort of subtle form of prejudice. On the surface, I said, well, the man's doing his job, right? But he obviously profiled me in some sense. I wasn't dressed in any kind of priest vestments, and I didn't. But he made you feel like you didn't belong, it sounds like. I wasn't like. wearing my collar, right? I was just mm-hmm. taking my morning walk. But it sounds like he it was a moment where he saw you right. as someone that didn't belong there. Right. He was profiling me. Yes. I was angry. I didn't engage with him at that level. I was always to respect the police. And so I certainly treated him in a respectful manner. Right. But I went back to the rectory and I was afraid of seeing a police vehicle. Um, I chose not to tell my priest friend because I thought he might be angry. Um, He was white um, and I thought he might choose to go and confront the police directly. Mm -hmm. Um, He's quite an advocate. And so I never told him what had occurred. Um, And that was on a Saturday morning. Enough Saturday evening for vigil mass. I was concelebrating and lo and behold, that same officer shows up in my communion line with his entire family. Well, I give him communion. So it may have turned out to be a very positive thing if they continue to to come to mass. Positive thing. Well, I guess that always remains to be seen. We don't know. We'll never Um, know, but we can hope. Exactly. We never know. But I I did encounter that situation a second time. mm -hmm. So that same situation occurred again, but on the East Coast. So the first time was in Southern California. This time it was on the East Coast. It was a warm evening and I was walking along and I had a repeat experience. So um, I would say right now, perhaps that would occur less, Mm -hmm. but um, in the beginning, I didn't think about it as prejudice as such or profiling, but reflecting back on it, I definitely see that. Yeah. 
And so in that same situation, same situation on the East Coast, I was asked, where do I live? Where am I staying? It was probably because it was a predominantly white neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But it certainly was some 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 form of prejudice, I would say. I don't know if you call that discrimination, group discrimination. Both. Call it profiling. I mean, definitely police profiling because you you seem for them to be someone who didn't fit who they thought should be in that area at that time. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I know that some people would call it one thing, discrimination, racial injustice, racism. Um, I think, sadly, it's something that happens to so many people. Thankfully for you, it didn't go sideways. Um, And as you said, you wanted to engage with them in a positive way. So thankfully, uh, you know, for you, you know, it didn't go badly, or as badly as it could. No, and it didn't. It didn't. Um, But I think you learn, um, and as a deaf person particularly, to show your hands, right? And I had the rosary in my hands, right? And so I think he had to believe what I was saying as I was lifting my hand. One hand was empty and the other had the rosary in it, Right. right? So... Um, my words, he had to take at face value. Exactly. Um, I, if he had not seen that, perhaps he would have continued his line of questioning. But in both cases, he laughed. Mm. Well, thankfully that you were okay. Yes. So, Father, one more question. And if there would be a message that you'd like to share with our listeners today, what would that be? Ah, okay. I think people need to become a light for others. So I would encourage people to check on someone else. Um, I think in our society, there's a tendency for so much self-care that we're not looking outward. We need to check on one another. We need to be a light to someone else who is struggling. One thing that I thought about often is the war in Ukraine and what's happening with Ukraine and Russia and this unjust takeover of innocent people. And I'm starting to encounter people who have had to flee Mm -hmm. and how chaos has impacted them. And I don't need to go into detail for your listeners about that, but I have had two visitors who came to my parish and shared their story. And I think it reemphasizes to us the importance of counting our blessings and the importance of being a light to others. Mm -hmm. And obviously um, within the deaf community, we have to figure out how to communicate in many different ways with different kinds of sign languages. In this case, the two people I'm talking about came with a six-month-old baby, which was particularly touching. Mm -hmm. But it's all about lifting one another up, inspiring one another to keep going, that sometimes things can feel very bleak or sad, but I think that it's very important to lift one another up and to find the light within ourselves. 
And sometimes that can mean reading a book from someone who has suffered injustice or oppression or um, something in the past. But, but during this year, as we are commencing with a new year, to think about that as we proceed. Yeah, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about the phrase um, or the concept Ubuntu, which means I am because you are. And so the idea of, as you say, it's, yeah, okay, self-care, but also caring for one another because, you know, supporting one another, being a light for one another uh, will help each other through difficult times. Yes. So being the light, the light starts from within. Isn't that right? Yes. And it's a kind of connection that happens ultimately heart to heart. It doesn't mean a physical light, but that light that starts from within. And the challenges do come, but lifting one another up and supporting one another is essential in this time. So I guess that's how I would end. And that would be my message. That's a beautiful message, being the light. Well, that, that works very well for Christmas and Epiphany. And as we go into Candlemas in February, so that's perfectly said. Yes, thank you. Well, I want to say thank you so much to Father Paul Zaramenya for being with us today. As well, a very special thanks to interpreter Neva for serving as our ASL interpreter today. And I, I really appreciate the both of you for being here as part of the podcast. Thank you, Lorna, for having me. Thank you so much. It's truly been a pleasure. I hope you have enjoyed today's conversation with Father Paul Zermania. His deep faith and unwavering trust in God resonates throughout his story. He reminds us of the true essence of joy, the remarkable ability to endure and persevere in season and out of season, all stemming from the profound love, compassion, and mercy bestowed upon us by the Lord. Father Paul has a deep faith in God that enables him to embrace the sacraments and extend a heartfelt welcome to people from all walks of life, regardless of hearing status or cultural background. His profound giftedness as a priest, inspired preacher, and devout person of prayer shines through dismantling barriers that may hinder effective communication. Through his steadfast commitment and unwavering support for both deaf and hearing, Father Paul serves as a beacon of hope, encouraging us all to embrace our blessings rather than succumb to despair. Challenges will arise, but it is through our collective efforts of uplifting one another and offering unwavering support that we can navigate these difficult times fortified by the grace of God. May Father Paul's example inspire us all to deepen our faith and trust in God. To learn more about deaf Catholics in the United States, 
please see the links in the show notes. A very special thanks goes out to Father Paul Zaramenia for being with us today and to Neva Turov for serving as ASL interpreter. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Voices from the Pews to stay updated on our latest episodes. Looking forward to being with you next month for our next episode. Until then, may God bless and keep you. Thank you for listening to Voices from the Pews, produced by Lorna DeRose. Audio editing and post-production by Byron Lee. Music composed and performed by Andre Louis. Social media assistance provided by Jacqueline Brunash. Web hosting provided by Beyond the Brand. Connect with us at VoicesFromThePews.com. See you in the next episode. Thank you for listening.